To study theology is not so much an academic endeavor as it is a relational endeavor. It is the study of God himself, what he has revealed to us about his character and his nature, who we are and how we connect with him. And these foundational Christian doctrines are not something new with our generation. For nearly 2,000 years, the church has been built upon the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and prophets as written in God's word. When we do theology, we are joining together with the generations of the church that have gone before us in declaring the timeless truths of God. What a pleasure to be with you. I enjoyed the first service, the worship, getting in on some of this service, and uh, it's just it's, it's a joy and a pleasure to be with people who love God or, in some cases, are on a search uh, for God, and I think this is a wonderful place for, for you to be. So as we, there we are, okay. So as we talk about this subject of heaven, let me talk a little bit about the present heaven, and I'm going to uh, try to make clear what I mean when I'm calling it the present heaven. Because why would you call it the present heaven? It's just heaven, right? Well, actually, no, because the future heaven will be different than the present heaven, but it will be equally wonderful. Actually, it will be more wonderful. And uh, we'll talk about why that is. <clears throat> so the thief on the cross, uh, Jesus says to him when the man calls out and, and basically just says, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Now, the thief on the cross could do absolutely nothing to earn his salvation. None of us can do anything, but, but it, it's pretty obvious with the thief, right? Because he couldn't go out and do some good works. He couldn't go out and uh, give money to the poor or to the church. Uh, he couldn't do, uh, he couldn't lead someone uh, to faith in Jesus, although you, you hope that the other thief was on the cross, was maybe listening, the other criminal, um, as well. But what I'm emphasizing here when I have that word continuity is Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It will still be the thief, but, but transformed, and it will still be Jesus but they're relocating. They're going to another place. They're not ceasing to exist. You don't cease to exist when you die. You go somewhere. To believers, that's in the presence of Christ. Um, for those uh, who uh, do not know Jesus, not place their faith in him, sadly, it is outside of the presence uh, of the Lord, which is ultimately what the Bible calls hell. So Paul says, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, be with Christ. That's, that's what makes heaven heaven, is to be with Christ and to be with God's people as well, but primarily to be with Christ. We're made for a person and we're made for a place. Um, Jesus is the person, heaven is the place. And so we, together, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're told we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And that's what, the idea of being with Christ forever is like, what could be more encouraging than that? What could be more wonderful? What could be better news than that? And so Paul was excited about heaven. We should be excited about heaven. We have a lot of misconceptions about heaven. I think the devil's really done a number on us. Um, and, and no wonder, he hates heaven, right? He got evicted from heaven. Um, if you got kicked out of a place, do you think you would speak fondly of that place? Or do you think you would want other people to think it's a great place, that place that you can no, never go back to? No. Heaven, where God's throne is. It's, it's, uh, it, God is... is He's everywhere. I mean, he's omnipresent, right? But he is especially in this location called heaven. And he dwells there with his people. Now, here's the present heaven and the future heaven. And this is where uh, I hope this will be a, a little bit clear, but I hope by the time we're done, it'll be pretty close to completely clear. The present heaven is pre-resurrection. So my wonderful wife, Nancy, and some of you 
uh, no Nancy, um, and I always speak of Nancy in the present tense because she has not ceased to exist. Um, and uh, I, I can't wait to see her again. Other than Jesus, she's certainly the person I'm most looking forward to being with, and there are many others as well. But when she died a year ago, which was, um, to say the least, and those of you who have, have lost your spouse, lost a child, lost anyone uh, that you've been very close to, um, know uh, what that's like. And it's a, it's a terrible experience, and yet God has proven himself faithful in the midst of it, in keeping with his promises. But uh, she did not go to heaven and then get her resurrected body. The remains of her body are still down on earth. The resurrection does not happen one at a time when we die. That's one of the misconceptions uh, that people have sometimes. It's like, we go there, and no, we go to what appears to be a disembodied state, though maybe there's some temporary transitional physical forms that people may take because of the descriptions we see. But basically, it's pre-resurrection. So we're, we're not united with our bodies in the present heaven when we die. But the future heaven will be after the resurrection, and it won't be a temporary location. It will be an eternal location. The present heaven where God's people is where God's people go up to live with him when we die. So we go up to live with God in his place. The future heaven is where God will come down to live with us in our place on the new earth. And we'll see that very explicitly. Scripture teaches that. It's not something I'm making up. Uh, there's the present heaven is sometimes called paradise or the third heaven. Uh, the future heaven is the new earth, the, the new cosmos, the new universe. Um, and we could think of, by analogy, and the analogy quickly breaks down, I realize, but it's almost like, okay, uh, three weeks ago I went to uh, uh, speak at a Bible translation conference in Palm Beach, Florida, and I flew through Atlanta. So when people said, hey, I know you're going on a trip and you're speaking at a conference, where are you going? Do you know I didn't say to anybody I was going to Atlanta? Why? Because Atlanta's the layover. It's just, it's just a stop on before the final destination. And fortunately, Palm Beach was not the final, final destination, but it was on that trip, it was the final destination. Okay, so... Think of the present heaven as the greatest layover in the history of the universe. Uh, so, no, it's not uh, Chicago or Minneapolis or Dallas or New York City or whatever. It's this wonderful, wonderful place we're in the presence of the Lord. But we move on from that because God will take the present heaven and bring it down to the new earth, he will relocate heaven. And we will sh see that from scripture. So there's a present heaven, uh, pre-resurrection, there's the future heaven where we will be embodied, where we will live uh, on a real earth, a redeemed earth with redeemed culture, redeemed countries, nations, people groups, I mean everything. It will be, um, it will be this wonderful, beautiful place. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're very familiar with that verse. And 2 Peter 3, 13 says, in keeping with God's promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, untainted by sin. Genesis 1 says, so God created man in his own image. God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over every living creature that moves on the earth. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God loves the earth. God loves the earth he created. And God loves the earth as it is now even fallen under the curse. But he's going to cleanse it and redeem it and raise it to become the new earth. Just like we will have new bodies, which will be our old bodies made new. They're not... The resurrection is not about a brand new thing. It's about raising the old thing to make it into the new thing. The new earth will be the old earth raised, the, the earth that's destroyed raised back again to be all that God intended it to be and all that it was in Eden. 
So God's plan is that humans will rule the earth. And you know what? God has never changed that plan. Satan did not win this victory where, okay, yeah, God had this plan, but then Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they sinned, ruined everything so that God's plan was completely derailed and now the best he can do is snatch people out of the earth and put them in uh, this place called heaven, which is where the angels are, disembodied spirits, and all of that. Now, that, that is not what Scripture teaches us. It teaches us that Jesus went to the cross and rose from the grave, not only to redeem us, but to redeem the universe itself that fell on the coattails of our sin. So, Genesis 3, 8, they ate the fruit when they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. If you're not familiar with the name Yahweh, this is God's personal name. And every time in your English Bible translations when you see the word Lord in all caps, uh, it is a mistranslation, <laughs> not really a translation at all. It's a substitution for the actual name of God. There's reasons why uh, this is done, but what I'm doing is not departing from Scripture when I, uh, you know, imposing the name Yahweh on Scripture. I'm actually, this is what's actually there, and that's why I, because every word's inspired, and uh, God's personal name uh, occurs 6,200 times in the Old Testament, so Let's go ahead and call him by the name that he has revealed to us, Exodus 3, and used throughout Scripture. So Yahweh walked with the first humans on uh, earth, and he will walk with us on the new earth where heaven will be relocated to. So the earth came under the curse as a result of human sin. Uh, cursed is the earth because of you. The painful toil, you will eat food from it all days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the earth, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return death. The biggest and most obvious uh, result uh, of that curse. And things are looking pretty bleak in Genesis 3. Sin and curse brought into the world everything that's bad and needs fixing. And guess what? God is going to fix it. That's his plan. That's the good news. Um, so human spirits were bent by sin. Minds and bodies began to suffer and die. We sinned ourselves into misery. That's what sin brings you is misery. Sin does not bring you happiness. Sin brings you misery and me. Um, the good news is God did not give up on us and he did not give up on that very good world that he made. It's still part of his plan to redeem it. And he's already paid the price and risen from the dead, uh, the guarantee. It's the kind of the already and not yet that we sometimes see in theology. It's already there, but it's not there yet. And so we're, we live in that in-between time, you know. There's the beginning of the story, Eden. There's the end that never ends, and that's the new earth. And meanwhile, here we are in the middle of the story. Um, I've written uh, 10 works of uh, fiction. Um, seven of them are full-length novels. Okay, so what, do you, what does a novelist do? Well, a novelist uh, has these kind of um, meet-the-characters reader, and suddenly everything's going wrong. I mean, that's what happens, right? But everything goes wrong. Um, and so this happens, and this happens, and this happens. It may be tragedy. It may be all of that. Well, that's part of the unfolding drama. Well, uh, the beginning of the story may be good. The end of the story is often good. But boy, the middle of the story is really rough in terms of what's happening in the book. And guess what? Where do we live? We don't live in Eden. We don't live in the New Earth. We live in the middle of the story, and that's where things go wrong. But things are going to go magnificently right. The easy solution to the problem of human sin required nothing of God but immediate, eternal condemnation of humans to hell. If you just thrown the first humans into hell, it was, that's it. End of, end of story. 
the costly solution was redemption. To defeat sin, uh, Jesus became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He, he, he died, he, then he conquered death, the resurrection. He reversed the curse. Um, he redeemed fallen people and the fallen creation. And the cost, what did it take? Well, only the death of God's Son in the most horrific manner possible. Not just the crucifixion and the pain and agony of it, but the taking upon himself the sins of the whole world. And what do we call that day when he died on the cross? Good Friday. Yeah. And isn't that weird? Why don't we call it Horrific Friday? It's the day the worst thing that ever happened in human history happened. Why don't we call it Horrific Friday? Because in retrospect, we know what came three days later, and we see the beauty and wonder of the whole thing and God's display of our love. Well, that's the way it is. If you just look at the way things are now, and if that's the basis of your perspective, you're going to be very, very depressed, discouraged, and feeling hopeless. But if you look to the end of the story, look at the beginning and look at the end and realize you're in the middle and here's where history is headed. Here's where the, the sovereign plan of the God of providence is that we will live forever in an incredibly beautiful, wonderful place beyond uh, everything that we can imagine. Left to ourselves, death's shadow would overcome us and we would have no hope. We have hope because God hasn't left us to ourselves. And by God's grace, he gives us glimpses of life as he intended it to be, doesn't he? And so I live here in this world having lost my soulmate, my best friend, and in a way I didn't lose her because I know where she is, but I'm going to be joined to her one day. I'm going to be joined to all of God's people in heaven and above all to Jesus himself. Uh, but we can still catch glimpses and see all around us. And I hope you see beauty and wonder in the world. And I hope with all the sorrows that you may have faced in your life, and I've faced a number of them, none greater than my wife's death, but I hope you are able to see around you the glimpses and the promises and the basis of our eternal hope. And the word hope is not just wishful thinking. It is the blood-bought promise of Jesus that all who believe in him, who trust in him for their salvation, will spend eternity with him. Meanwhile, we're under the curse. The curse is awful. And yet, without it, we wouldn't know how terrible our sin is. We wouldn't know how dreadful the hell we deserve is. We wouldn't know how amazing God's grace to us is, yes, even now. We wouldn't know how undeserved and incredible Christ's redemptive work is, the amazing grace of God. We wouldn't realize how great our happiness will be once the curse is reversed, which God promises it will be. So, we were talking about the present heaven. Now we're talking about the future heaven, where Revelation 21, 1 and 2 it's like bookends, the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters. First two chapters begin with what? Well, they begin with creation. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Okay, and then Revelation 21, the beginning, the first first of the uh, last two chapters of the Bible takes us back to heavens and earth. And, and heaven is not just heaven, the dwelling place of God, but it's also the heavens, plural, <clears throat> the, the entire cosmos. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. New does not mean never having existed in the past. It means a recreated, a renewed, a redeemed heaven and earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Just like our bodies pass away, right? It's even a, a term, that euphemism we have for death, to pass away. But then our bodies, our actual bodies, will be raised. Likewise, the earth will pass away. But then that earth will be raised and we will live on a new earth. And what will happen 
on that new earth. Well, Revelation 21.3 tells us, now the dwelling of God is, and this is the future now, it's, it's using the present tense, but it will be, the dwelling of God will be with men, and he will live with them. Where do people live? They live on the earth, and that's what it's talking about. It's the new earth. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So with them, three times, with them. And it reminds me of that name for Jesus, Emmanuel. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so the very ne- one of the names of Jesus, the very meaning of that name, will be fulfilled as he lives with us on the new earth. Have you ever looked back at the disciples and, and thought, what would it have been like to walk with Jesus? Maybe you've watched episodes of The Chosen and you, you've thought, man, what would it be like to walk around with Jesus? Guess what? You'll know because that's what we'll do. On God's new earth. So John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He dwelt among us and he will dwell among us forever. You know, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not temporary. He didn't uh, shed his resurrection body, his, his physical raised human body. He didn't shed it when he went to heaven. No, he, it, he will be incarnate forever. He will be Emmanuel, God with us on that new earth. And that's what will make it heaven. It wouldn't be heaven without Jesus. Any place without Jesus, where Jesus has no access, without the triune God, any place would be hell. But the wonder of heaven is that God will dwell with us there on that new earth where he will bring heaven down to earth. And what will this earth be like? Glad you asked that question. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Scripture says. There will be no more death, and the construction in the Greek is that the no more refers to all of these uh, nouns that, that follow. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things is passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making Everything new. And the everything he's making new is all the old. So, good news. Misery has an expiration date. Are you glad? I mean, does that make your heart sing? And happiness is never ending. We really will all live happily ever after. All who know Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust Jesus. Sadly, there will be some people in hell for eternity, but you don't need to be because you place your faith in him. And there's people, I'm sure, that are here that uh, have not come into a relationship with Jesus. And I would ask everyone who knows Jesus in the room, pray right now for anyone who's here that their hearts could be drawn toward this great and wonderful God who gave his life to deliver us from hell and give us eternal life in heaven, in our new and redeemed uh, creation. He's making everything new. So you could diagram it this way. I mean, life on earth, we're born into the world and uh, we get a little bit older and we mature and our bodies get stronger and our minds get stronger and then we reach a peak at some point. I'm not gonna say what age that peak might be. I can just say, I can guarantee you I'm past it. Um, And I know this because I coach, I help coach tennis at Barlow High School and uh, so I'm out there with, I have two grandsons on the team. We just finished up. The state tournament was this week. And um, I can tell you that sometimes my uh, mind remembers and tells me, you can make this shot. And then I try to make that shot. And uh, then my body tells me, no, you can't. You <laughs> really can't. So we pass our peaks on this earth in this life. But here's the misconception. There are many people who think, I passed my peak physically, I passed my peak mentally, and I'll never, those were the good old days, I'll never have that, on the contrary. First of all, our peak in this life is not that great. It's still in a world under sin and curse, right? 
And one day we will be raised. We will have these new bodies and they will never pass their peaks. They will always be, you know, wonderful and fully functional and everything good about them. You know, you may never have tasted your favorite food. You may never have met yet your best friend. You may, because in eternity, we will meet people. We will eat food, uh, the, the uh, tree uh, of life that bears a new fruit every month that people will eat. I mean, just all of these crazy promises will eat and drink with Jesus and sit at tables with him in his kingdom. Uh, the best is yet to come, the best by far. And so then now we, we live this life, um, it's up and down, it's under the curse, we die, then we're with the Lord, and that's absolutely wonderful. Couldn't get any better than that, right? Well, it actually can, because 1 Corinthians 15 says, hey, the resurrection is what it's about. I mean, if the dead are not raised, we're, of all people, must to be pitied, Right? So this platonic uh, Greek philosophy concept of uh, disembodied soul is the ultimate reality of um, Eastern religions where you lose yourself in the great uh, cosmic consciousness. The Bible has nothing about that. It's all about really being raised again and living forever on a new earth. And Revelation 22 tells us about this new earth. The angel showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Servants have places to go. Uh, things to do, uh, people to see, right? Do you think boredom? Uh, don't think of heaven as boring. It would only be boring if God is boring. God is the source of all that is interesting and fascinating. He is an infinitely resourceful creator. I would not be surprised at all if uh, every single day he makes thousands of new things. And thousands of new beings. Who knows? He, he can do anything he wants, but he's not going to stop being creative. And we're not going to stop being creative. We will be more creative than we've ever been because the image of God will not be marred in us the way it is now. Sin will have no hold on us. And what does it say? We, they, who is we, his people, will see his face and they, that's we, will reign forever and ever. Now, I believe in a literal thousand-year millennial reign, though um, there are a lot of people who don't take that literally, but I do. However, just understand that the promises of God, whenever it says forever and forever and ever, it's not talking about the millennium. It's talking about eternity, where we will live forever with the Lord. We will reign forever and ever. So God's family business is that we would reign. He's the king, and he's the king of kings. And who are the kings and queens that are under the capitalized king? Who are the lowercase kings and queens? That's us, his people. We have never lived a moment where we haven't been under the curse, right? I mean, look at the best time ever in your life. You are still living in a world under the curse. You still were a sinner and uh, at one point became redeemed by the blood of Christ, but you don't reach perfection in this life, right? And uh, if you think you have, that's the greatest evidence that you have it. <clears throat> the greatest relationships and natural beauties we've seen are only shadows of their original magnificence. And every wonderful thing we've ever known, it's a reminder of Eden. It's like we have in us a nostalgia for Eden. Even though we were never there, but you know how we all sinned in Adam? It's like somehow that's in us. We know this world is supposed to be much different than it is. And it's a foretaste of the redeemed earth to come.
So what does no more curse mean? It, it, well, it's a reversal of Genesis 3. No more painful toil, no more thorns and thistles, no more return to the ground, which is death. It's a permanent, glorified renewal of the original creation. It's eternal liberation from all of the dysfunctions of the fall, and they are everywhere. So, when Scripture promises no more curse, as it does in Revelation 22, as we saw, what, that means no more what? Well, it means no more sin, suffering, death, adultery, child abuse, cruelty to animals, gender confusion, racism, false worldviews, crime, rape, arrogance, slavery, no more suicide, holocaust, starvation, dementia, no more lying, bad drinking water, pandemics, drug abuse, cheating, stealing, prisons, porn, bitterness, disasters, poverty, or cancer. Well, I'd just take that last one. That'd be pretty good. No more cancer. Well, that's just one on the list. I mean, no more of anything bad. No more of anything associated with the curse. No more curse. If that's all we were promised, and, and the Bible told us nothing else about life on the new earth, that tells us a lot more. But if we only knew no more of that, then we could just suddenly imagine. Can you imagine what life would be like without these things? I had a man tell me one time uh, years ago, he says, you know, I have to be honest with you. I hate to even admit this. I, I think this means I'm a bad Christian, but uh, I actually don't want to live uh, in heaven forever. I want to live on an earth without all the bad stuff. And I said, you know, remarkably, what you have said is just exactly what Scripture actually promises. And it's so ironic because we, we're always um, tempted to compromise God's truth, you know, uh, and, and, and say things that the Bible doesn't say to kind of make people feel better or whatever. And here's this marvelous thing. It's the very thing this man is longing for. He doesn't want to go to heaven because what he's learned about heaven or heard about heaven, or maybe he's learned almost nothing, is so nondescript and so bland and so uninteresting, disembodied spirit. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So when the curse is replaced by blessing, forevermore there will be what? There will be Jesus, closeness to God, Worship, happiness, delight, reunions, family, old friends, new friends, animals, play, learning, meeting angels, eating, drinking. Nancy used to say, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to when I die, I just want to meet my angel or maybe there's several angels that have, uh, have served me and protected me and my guardian angels throughout my life. But even apart from them, I want to meet the other angels. I just think it'll be so fun. To meet angels, and you know, Nancy and I, uh, partly because I spent years um, researching and writing uh, about heaven and the new earth, we talked a lot about the resurrection and the new life and the new earth. She had what she called her new earth bucket list. And we would, you know, and I got to tell you something, <clears throat> start those conversations now, because I had some warning, uh, not as much warning in some ways as to make me totally prepared for it, but there was four years where Nancy had cancer, and in the last month of her life, it was obvious God was just choosing not to heal her, and hey, he's God, I'm not, and so we trusted him, Nancy trusted him, fully praised him for his goodness, and she wrote in her journal one month before she died. Soon I will see Jesus. I can't wait. Have those conversations now. Talk about as a family. Um, play, learning, uh, humor, laughter, storytelling, culture, literature, art, music, science. Where did those things come from? Did Satan invent those things? No. Human beings made in God's image invented those things. And so somebody told me one time, it's actually a pastor, he says, well, there can't be sports in heaven. And I said, why can there not be sports? Because sports bring out the worst in us. And I said, suppose there was no worst in us to bring out. Suppose we were truly righteous. And that's the promise of Scripture. 
exploration, travel, hiking, swimming, sports, all of it. So sin will not have the last word. Righteousness will. Misery will not have the last word. Happiness will. Deceit won't have the last word. Truth will. Curse won't have the last word. Blessing will. Satan won't have the last word. God will. Hostility won't have the last word. Love will. Death won't have the last word. Life will. Destruction won't have the last word. Redemption will. Suffering won't have the last word. Pleasure will. Oh, whoa, we're in church. The word pleasure, what are we talking about? Well, it's right there in God's word and many passages. This is one of them. In your presence, and what's heaven? Being in the very presence of God. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Not just joy the very fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ezekiel 36 says, they will say this desolate land, and the word that's translated land there is usually translated earth, this desolate earth has become like the Garden of Eden. And you know, isn't it sad if you buy into the idea, okay, well, there was Eden one time, but we'll never see it. I mean, there's only two human beings who ever saw Eden, and they ruined it for all of us, for crying out loud. You know, we all sinned in Adam, uh, and we are responsible for our sin. It's not just Adam. We are. But the point is that we will know Eden. We will know a global Eden, way more magnificent than the original virgin version because it will be a redeemed Eden, a redeemed earth. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. One day it's all going to be changed. Isaiah 55 says, you people who have suffered under the curse will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. That is beautiful poetry. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. grow. This is the reverse of the curse, right? For the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Isaac Watts was not only a great hymn writer, he was a great theologian. He wrote a tremendous book on heaven. It's a little hard to read because he wrote it in the early 1700s. Uh, but no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. Blessings will reach as far as the curse and further than forever. Swallow it up. Uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture, Isaiah 25. Nancy and I read it together a number of times. Um, God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. You know what I love about that? He will devour it. He will destroy it. He will annihilate it. It will no longer exist. He will swallow it up. He won't be at a distance from death. He will swallow it up. And that's what happened. Jesus on the cross was not a distance from death. He died, and he died so that in his resurrection, it was the down payment, and he will swallow up death forever, already and not yet. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. In other words, there will be no more curse. At the renewal of all things, Jesus said. And you might wonder, well, wait a minute. If, if there's this new earth and, and this renewal of all creation, I would have thought Jesus would have said something about it. He did in a number of places. Here's one of them. At the renewal of all things. And I bet you know what all things means in the original Greek? All things. And that's why it's always translated that way. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on its 12 thrones. And then there's Peter in, I think, the second sermon in the book of Acts. 
Christ must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to re... All the re-words of the Bible, the re means going back to what was. Restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. We saw a few of the prophets. But throughout the prophets, there are speaking of a world that is the, the way the world is supposed to be and of people who are the way they are supposed to be. Does not your heart long for a world that's much different than this one? And yet you see little glimpses of what this world could be. But it's under the curse. And one day we will see what God, the creator and designer and redeemer of us and this world, the world that awaits for us, heaven. The dream of a global Eden of heaven on earth was not our dream. It was and is God's dream. I am not making this up. I hope the scripture that I keep going to will convince you of that. Daniel 7, 14. Messiah was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All, even though it was given, it's talking about a future uh, state, a future condition. Um, given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people's nations and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Not just a thousand-year kingdom, that's the millennium in Revelation 20. But now we're talking about these passages in Daniel 7 are talking about Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The NIV says forever, yes, forever and ever. Like, get it? I mean, this isn't just a temporary situation. This is forever. We will live uh, in a redeemed kingdom with redeemed cultures on a redeemed earth as redeemed people in redeemed bodies under the king of kings, the redeemer. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms of the earth under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the most high. The family business is ruling the earth and ruling the universe to the glory of God and it wasn't just Adam and Eve. It will be all of us who have loved him and known him and walked with him and who have served him faithfully. You've been faithful in a little, I'll put you over much. You've been faithful in doing this, I'll put you over five cities, I'll put you over ten cities. And Nancy said, do you think it would be okay since God said that we will also uh, intended for us to rule over animals? Do you think instead of ruling over a city, he would let me rule over a hundred dogs? And I said, I think it would be just like him to do that. And I can't wait to see her place on the new earth. And I sure hope mine is really nearby because I love dogs too. And she said, I want to see the whales breaching. And I want to see uh, dolphins swimming. And I want to see the green sea turtles. I want to see all of this stuff. And if you think that God has given up on creation, that he has given up on the animal kingdom, on the contrary, uh, Scripture makes clear he is not. His kingdom on earth will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. With your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and nation, uh, tribe and language and people and nation. That's why I love Bible translation so much. You have made them to be kings and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. People from every tribe and nation and language. Um, they will reign on the earth. So blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, Jesus said. That word uh, translated blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means, look it up in a Greek lexicon, it will tell you right away, it means happy. That's what it means. And the word, the English word blessed used to mean happy, but then it turned into a holiness word instead of a happiness word. Uh, so happy is a better translation, and I love the International Children's Bible. Those who are humble are happy. The earth will belong to them. That is God's promise. Well, it's going to have to be a lot different than this earth. Yeah, that's the point. It's going to be the new earth. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The song we sang earlier uh, about, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that's got to be the most prayed prayer in human history, right? That's from the Lord's Prayer. I mean, has there any prayer been prayed more than that? Do you think God will ever answer that prayer? Yes. He, magnificently. It's called the new earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just for a thousand years, but forever. Earth's greatest days are yet to come. Second Peter 3 says, you know, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear. The elms will be destroyed. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And, and you think, well, that's the end of the story. No, it's not the end of the story because that's 2 Peter 3.10. Three verses later, it says, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Not a non-heaven and a non-earth, but a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So together, God's people will live out the ultimate and I'm piling on the adjectives here that some people kind of think of as not being holy or, or whatever because supposedly God is only concerned about uh, our, our holiness and he's not concerned about our happiness, which is not true, by the way. Together, God's people will live out the ultimate, uplifting, feel-good, happy ending as resurrected people on a resurrected earth with the resurrected King Jesus with redeemed nature and redeemed human culture, and it will be beautiful, and God will be glorified, and his people will be fully happy. The problem is not happiness, by the way. The problem is we try to find happiness in sin. When we try to find happiness where it's intended to be found and can ultimately only be found in God, and in God's world, and in God's people, and all things related to God, then happiness is a very beautiful thing. Please don't teach your children. God wants you to be holy, but he doesn't want you to be happy. He's not concerned about your happiness. As, as parents, are there any of you that don't want your children to be happy? Please don't reduce God to less than you. Of course he wants his children to be happy, and he knows we'll only be miserable in sin. We will be happy in him and in the things that he <clears throat> has called us to. Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, eight times in the Gospels, Jesus talks about how we will eat and drink together in God's kingdom. There's going to be a lot of eating and drinking together. And um, how good will that food taste? You know, you, you, you've never tasted food that isn't under the curse, and you've never had taste buds that were not under the curse. I mean, just paradigm shift is what we're talking about here. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. The Lord Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious one. And what was his glorious one like? He says, look at me, touch me, handle me. It's I myself. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as I have. He says, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took, he ate it in their presence and it did not drop through to the ground. Because it's a real, actual body. All the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other. The Westminster Confession of Faith, 1646. The selfsame bodies. Our new bodies will be our old bodies made new. Like but superior to our bodies now. Untainted by sin and curse. Our minds will be different. Isaiah 51, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness he will make like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. Apart from sin, the curse and suffering, what would we ever known of God's amazing grace? 
when you ask yourself the question, why would he allow all this? Well, what will we know of his spectacular redemption without it? Or the depths of his sacrificial love? I'm not trying to make sin good or the curse good. I'm just saying the glory of God and the goodness of his people has, has risen or will rise out of the dust of all the badness that has ever been experienced. So why would a good and all-powerful God create a world like this that's filled with evil and suffering? And what's the answer to that? He didn't. It wasn't like this. It was like Eden. It was Eden. He did sovereignly write and does direct a redemptive story that includes evil and suffering in the middle only, not at the beginning and not at the end. We really will live happily ever after, and this is not a fairy tale. This is the revealed truth of God, and we know that all things will work together for good to those who love him. Romans 8 talks about the creation waiting and eager expectation for us to be revealed as who we are with our resurrection the glorious freedom of the children of God, the whole creation will be raised. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So the whole creation is groaning, awaiting the birthday of a redeemed earth and no more sin and curse. And it's coming, folks. So as I wrap it up here, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodily resurrection is the pattern for the redemption of all creation. The animals that fell on our coattails will rise on our coattails. We should see our present um, time, our life, under the curse in light of Eden, in light of the new earth. Don't view this life through the lens of the curse. There's no need for a bucket list. Why do people have bucket lists? Oh, because let's take all of our time and money and, and, and invest it over here because this is the one place we live where for uh, you know, we'll, we will ever be able to experience all the greatness that, uh, th that we could in this world know because God has a plan. And that plan is he's gone to prepare a place for us. And carpenters don't just build new homes, they repair broken ones. And here's an invitation. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. End with C.S. Lewis. He no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for this church. Love this church. Pray for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.